there are no churches. So this morning, as we jump into our, our series on the seven feasts, we're going to be in the book of Leviticus again, a book that is uh, not well known in Christian circles in uh, our modern culture. But the book of Leviticus is a, a wealth of information if you uh, take the time to read it and learn how to read it. And so this morning, as we look at these feasts, we continue our journey through them. We have learned so far that these feasts were appointed by God. They're appointed times is what the phrase actually says in the scripture. And one of the things is that if you want to really see a connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, then look at these feasts. Because these feasts are very important throughout the Old Testament. And then you will see in the New Testament that they are still there. The early Christians were actually still celebrating these feasts from the Old Testament time period. And Jesus celebrated them. Um, the book of John is actually kind of structured around some of these feasts, and we'll look at one of those towards the end of our, our sermon this morning. As we've looked in the last couple of weeks, uh, we've seen that the biblical day in Scripture is not what you and I think of. It's not you get up in the morning and that's the beginning of the day, but generally speaking, the day begins the night before. And so that right there is a whole change of our mindset, and that's just the first of the mindset changes that have to take place as we grapple with these feast days that God has set up. And then we saw that the week itself is a little bit structured differently than how you and I think of it. I ask many Christians what the Sabbath is, and they tell me it's Sunday. But they're wrong. Um, it's not. It never was. It never will be. Uh, the Sabbath has always been the seventh day, and that comes to be on Saturday. Sunday is actually the first day of the week, and so then the next logical question is, well, then why are you celebrating on Sunday, Kevin? And that's because the early Christians began to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So we're here this morning celebrating the fact that not only did Jesus die on the cross 2,000 years ago, okay, yes, that was good for us and the fact that he died for our sins, but if he had only died, it wouldn't have been enough. He rose from the dead. And that's what makes all the difference, because that means he conquered sin and death. He's got more power than sin and death, and he can give you power over sin and death also. And so as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every single Sunday, not just on Easter, that is what Sunday celebration is about. So that doesn't change anything related to the Sabbath day. And so we looked at those two things, and then we began looking in the book of Leviticus in chapter 23, at these appointed times that God set up. And there's seven different appointed times. We saw that God specifically talked to Moses. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 1 and 2. And he says, speak to the Israelites and tell them, these are my appointed times, the times of the Lord that you will proclaim as sacred assemblies. And so what God is doing, if you recall from our previous weeks, is he has freed the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He has then given them instructions at the end of the book of Exodus to build this tent of meeting or tabernacle where they are going to meet with God. And then comes the book of Leviticus with all of its sacrifices and rituals and all of these crazy things that we're not used to. And the reason for it is because God is getting ready to dwell with his people. And when God shows up, you got to not only be ready, you got to be in a pure and holy state. Think back if you know any of the other stories in the Bible. You know, when God shows up and begins to talk to Moses out of the burning bush, what does he tell him? He says, this is holy ground. Take off your sandals, your shoes. Yes, it's holy ground. 
See, when God's in the house, there's something different because he's God. He is different. That's what holy means, different, distinct, separate. And so Leviticus lays out all of these things that because of our sin, we've got to do to get ready to have God in our presence. And so we saw that in the biblical calendar, there are seven specifically of these feasts or appointed times. And the top ones, which for some reason are cut off on our, our screen right now, are the, um, the Feast of Passover and um, Unleavened Bread and First Fruits and then Weeks or Pentecost, okay? Those are the spring and summer feasts. And then we're looking at these three that come in the fall time. And that's what we've been spending our time the last couple weeks on. And the reason is because this is the time period. And so as we look at these, we see that God has set aside these times so that his people all right, would focus on him and what he's trying to do in their lives. And so these seven feast times, if you look at this next slide, you'll see that in the calendar year, they're kind of grouped in three different groupings. And the reason is that each of these groupings, okay, the men were supposed to travel all the way up to Jerusalem and celebrate these feasts there, all right? And so they would travel. It would take a while. might take them a week. might take them more. This is something they would plan for. Now, think about when you go on a vacation. You don't just get up and go usually. You plan it. You might have to buy airline tickets. You might have to rent a car. You've got to pack suitcases. You've got to figure out how many days you're going to be there. What's the weather going to be like? Do you need swimming stuff? What do you need, right? And so they would have to do the same thing. So they're going to plan this whole thing. But then when you finally get there, you get to celebrate. And that's what they're going to do as well. In Exodus chapter 23, in verses 15 to 17, we read, that God had told them to observe the festival of unleavened bread as I commanded you. You are to eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time. There's that phrase again, the appointed time. God sets the time in the month of Abib because you came out of Egypt in that month. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Also observe the festival of harvest with the first fruits of your produce from what you sow in the field and observe the festival of ingathering, that's booths, okay, or tabernacles, at the end of the year when you gather your produce from the field. Now these three that I put in bold, those are the three, the three times that all the males are to appear before the Lord God. And so if you're a, a male, okay, you are expected to go pilgrimage, to take a journey to Jerusalem at these three times. And so again, I'm trying to hammer home this point about these three pilgrimages. And so the seven feasts, again, are depicted here on the screen for you. And you can see at the first pilgrimage, they would celebrate Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Fifty days later would be Pentecost, so it would be another time. And then the third grouping is Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Feast of Tabernacles, which is what we are specifically studying right now. And that would be the third pilgrimage that they would take. That would be in the fall time. And so these are times that God has set aside for his people to come and to celebrate. And so these biblical holidays, all right, if you want to call them that, all right, more like holy days, but in the spring, again, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. Now, one of the things that we've seen 
and this was new to probably most, if not all of you, was that these spring feasts were actually fulfilled when Jesus came the first time. When Jesus died, it was at Passover. Jesus was the Passover lamb, fulfilling that Passover sacrifice. Now, a few years after Jesus died and rose, the temple was destroyed by the Romans in the year 70 AD. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the Israelite people, the Jewish people, they no longer offer a sacrifice at Passover. They still celebrate Passover, but there is no animal sacrificed. You see, Jesus was the Passover lamb, sacrificed. Then is the time period of unleavened bread, which is fulfilled in the burial of Jesus as he's in the tomb. After that is first fruits. Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. First fruits means the first one. So it has to do with your crops. You plant your crops, and when the first thing of barley begins to come up, or maybe your first tomato or whatever you're planting, that gives you a, a sign that there's more to come. Oh, the first one's here. We're going to start getting a bunch of produce, right? And so Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. Jesus said in the book of Hebrews that he is going to bring many other sons into glory with God. Okay, so he resurrected. That gives us hope that we can also, if you're a follower of Jesus, resurrect as well. And then 50 days after uh, was Pentecost. And that is when, if you read the story in Acts chapter 2, it was the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came. And a lot of Christians think that that's a New Testament thing. That's not a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament thing that God fulfilled with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament time period. And so... Those are the spring ones. And then we're looking at these fall ones, the trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the tabernacles. And so as we look at these, and these will be fulfilled in the future. So the seven feasts of the Lord, the ones that have already been fulfilled, are one, two, three, and four. So five, six, and seven is what we're looking at. Trumpets having to do with Christ's second return. All right? The Day of Atonement having to do with judgment and God rightening everything and putting it in proper order. And tabernacles having to do with God's future kingdom. And so let's look again and, and just review what we've seen with these fall feasts. Okay? The shofar blowing was one of the first things we looked at because that was the trumpets. The, the Feast of Trumpets, which showed up on Tishri 1. And you're like, what is Tishri? Tishri is in October. I think if I remember right, that was the second. And so two Sundays ago, we celebrated, we talked about that, we learned what that all meant. And this was a time period of repentance and respect because God was going to come and there was going to be a judgment coming soon. And so you needed to get ready. We talked about how in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, it says anyone not found written in the book of life is thrown into the lake of fire. That's a future judgment coming. And because you know that's coming, then what should you do? You should get ready. You should be prepared. Jesus has many, many parables in the Gospels. You could read Matthew 24 and 25, for instance. You could also go to, I think, Matthew 13 and read the parables there. He says many, many times in these parable stories that I am coming back, and when I come back, I better find you ready and working. Otherwise, you aren't part of my kingdom. And so you need to be ready. And so this was called in the Jewish time period the ten days of awe. All right, in between, in between the, the day of trumpets and then the day of atonement. And why ten days? Because on day ten, the Tishri, the month of Tishri, ten, okay, tenth day of Tishri, um, is the day of atonement. 
Now, the Day of Atonement was a huge deal. This is where sin and sacrifice and the Savior and salvation all come together. This is where uh, the tabernacle uh, fire or the Shekinah glory of God shows up. Now, remember, we talked about this tabernacle. It's like a big tent, right? And, and the Israelite people, they all camped all around it in tents. Now, if, if you don't like camping or if you've never been camping, you're not going to understand what they were doing. You know, for 40 years, they were camping in the wilderness. And, and today, as we get to the, the tabernacles and the booths, it's a camping celebration. So if you don't like to camp, you might not like this. Uh, but I love to camp. So this is great fun. So can you imagine, okay, if you were in one of these tents, it wouldn't matter where you were. When God shows up, his Shekinah glory shows up in the Holy of Holies, the meeting place in the middle of this camp, everyone's going to see it. Why? Because it's so bright. That's similar to when Jesus comes back. It says when the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes back in the air and everyone will see him coming back. Believers and unbelievers alike. You'll all see him. It'll be known to everybody. We saw also that at the Day of Atonement, there was two goats that were part of the ritual and the ceremony. And one of these goats, it was taken and it was the ransom it was killed and the blood was put in the tabernacle and this represents how your sin has to be paid for instead of the people dying the goat died the goat's blood was put as atonement there was a ransom made jesus takes your place he pays for your sin you committed the crime but guess what you don't have to do the time in our culture you do but with Jesus, you commit the crime, and he does the time. That's his love. That's his ransoming, buying you back from sin. But then there was this second one, the second goat, and it was about the removal of sin. And it was about your sin being removed and never returning. And this one was sent off into the wilderness never to come back. And so the two goats picture the two different aspects of what's going on in our salvation. Sin is sent away, and at the same time, sin has to be paid for and ransomed. Something, someone has to die for this, and the sin needs to be cleaned and moved somewhere. And so we look back at our biblical calendar for this morning, and we see that down here at the bottom, the trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the third one, Tabernacles. And that's what we're looking at today. Tabernacles is the month of Tishri from the 15th to the 22nd. That starts tonight, actually. So in the Jewish calendar, which is not exactly the same as the one that we go by, this will begin tonight. This is a time of celebrating the provision and the protection of God as well as the presence of God. That God has protected his people, he's provided for his people, and he lives with them. His presence is there. The word Sukkot, which you saw up on the screen earlier, is, is the Hebrew word for this, and it has to, has to do with these tabernacles or booths. It's a week-long celebration all right, that goes back to several different aspects, one of which is when they were living in the wilderness and they lived in these booths. It's a time to remember that. It's a reminder of how God was faithful and he protected them. And remember, it's one of these three times when everyone is supposed to go where? Where? Jerusalem. Everyone is supposed to travel up to Jerusalem, all the men at least, right, to Jerusalem for this. 
Now, these tabernacles or these huts, okay, just so you can understand that this isn't just a, a new word for this thing. Um, Jacob built himself a house and stalls or, or huts for his horses in the Bible. That's in uh, Genesis 33, verse 17. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 8, it says that Zion abandoned like a shelter in the vineyard or a shack in a cucumber field. So you got, you got a shack, you got a shelter, you got a stall. These are just different translations for this word, okay? You have the, uh, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 5, when Jonah left the city, he built himself a shelter and he sat, sat in the shade. That's the same word. He built himself a little booth so the sun would be off his head. In Job 27, verse 18, it talks about a moth's cocoon or a shelter built by a watchman. So you've got a guard or a watchman, and he's got a little shelter that he's built for himself. So that's what we're talking about. That's the type of thing. It was also used in 1 Kings chapter 20, um, verse 12 and 16, to talk about tents in battle. And so again, a little booth, a tent, a hut that is built. It's a temporary shelter uh, that you can use for whatever time you need it. So there's many other references in the Bible about this idea of booths, but the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles was a harvest feast. It took place when all the harvest had been gathered, which is why the other name mentioned, as we read in Exodus, is ingathering. In other words, gather in, right? What are you gathering in? You're gathering in the harvest. So this is the last harvest of the year, okay? It's the third. And so when this is done... What you see is that the whole year has been great because you've already had your first two. This is the third harvest. So at the end of this one, you can kind of sit down and say, God has been good. God has blessed us. All three harvests were great and we're doing well. And so that's part of what this is all about. Once the harvest is all brought in, it's a joyous time and a celebration. In fact, God actually says to celebrate and be joyous. And so you can see this picture here of the booth on the screen. Something that, like that is what it would have looked like. Or on the next slide, you'll see that they're making one. And, and this is kind of like more of in the, in the city. Now, the booth that they were supposed to make had some stipulations, actually. They were supposed to be able to see the stars through the roof, so it couldn't be completely covered. There had to be some, some cracks, all right? And they should be able to see the sunlight in the daytime. And so it was not completely walled in. There was this aspect that they should be able to see the stars. Why? What do the stars remind them of? That God is the creator. That the one who created the universe is also the one who took care of them for 40 years in the wilderness. And where did their provisions, their food come from while they were in the wilderness? God rained down manna every day for them. So they would go out in the morning, and on the ground would be this bread-like substance that they would pick up, and they would eat it. God provided for them supernaturally all through this time period. He also provided water supernaturally for them. At this celebration, at the heart of this celebration was a daily rite that we have to understand in order to understand some things in, uh, in John, when we get to John. And so there are a couple of uh, harvest items. Um, I don't want to call them vegetables. Plants, plants and fruit, actually, that were used as part of this celebration. And so uh, the lulav and the etron. 
etrog. I don't know if I said that right or not, okay? This is new to me as well. And so the, the fruit there is like a big lemon, all right? And then on the left are these different branches from different types of trees. And they would use these at the celebration, all right? They would go up, they would wave the branches and the fruit. Um, and this is, again, harking back to how God has blessed them in the harvest has been great and has been a bountiful harvest. And so this was all part of what was going on. In Leviticus 23, verse 33 to 44, okay, we're going to read this portion, and this is the portion that uh, lays out for us the actual Feast of Booths. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites the festival of booths to the Lord begins on the 15th day of the seventh month and continues for seven days. So for how, how many days does it go on? Seven days, right? Continues for seven days. There is to be a sacred assembly on the first day. You are not to do any daily work. You are to present a fire offering to the Lord for seven days. On the eighth day, you are to hold a sacred assembly and present a fire offering to the Lord. It is a solemn gathering. You are not to do any daily work. These are the Lord's appointed times that you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for presenting fire offerings to the Lord, burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices, drink offerings, each on its designated day. So there's a lot of offerings. These are in addition to the offerings for the Lord's Sabbaths, your gifts and your vow offerings, and all your free will offerings that you give to the Lord. So there's a lot of giving of gifts to God, okay? You are to celebrate the Lord's festival on the 15th day of the seventh month for the seven days after you have gathered the produce of the land. There will be a complete rest on the first day and a complete rest on the eighth day. On the first day, you are to take the, pro the product of majestic trees. Okay, now this is what I just showed you that picture of. The palm fronds, the boughs of leafy trees, and the willows of the brook. That's the three um, leaves or stalks that you just saw in that previous picture. And rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. So they would wave these branches, okay? You are to celebrate it as a festival to the Lord seven days each year. This is a permanent statute for you throughout your generations. You must celebrate it in the seventh month. You are to live in booths for seven days. So camping time, right? All the native born of Israel must live in booths. So that your generation may know that I made the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. So that ties back with Exodus and Egypt. All right? So Moses declared the Lord's appointed times to the Israelites. So as God tells Moses this, and then Moses tells it to the people. And so uh, five days after the Day of Atonement, on the 15th day of the seventh month, they celebrate tabernacles. All right? So the seven-day celebration, no work on the first day or the eighth day, and there's lots and lots of offerings. Now, people in, in um, let me just say mostly the West or mostly even America, um, you know, people get upset when, when pastors or preachers talk about money and tithes and offerings and all this type of stuff. All I got to say is, and, I mean, and we hardly ever talk about it here, but all you got to do is read the Bible because it's all over the place. And so even in the passage we're reading, um, I have not calculated up how much, but somewhere I read more than 90 lambs were sacrificed in this week just, just on these daily sacrifice things. Now that doesn't count all the other ones that were mentioned. A free will offering, what's that mean? That means I just love God, I'm going to give him something. 
a vow. What's that mean? That means I made a promise to God during the year, and so now I'm going to fulfill it. But where is all this coming from? See, here, here's what we got to understand that we severely lack. What the Jews understood, God's people, the Israelites understood, or at least they did when they were in the right frame of mind, was that everything comes from who? God. The book of James even says, every good gift comes from your Father above, okay? And so if everything comes from God, then God really owns everything anyway, and whatever he gave you, he gave you to be a blessing. And when you're blessed and you're thankful, what do you do? You reciprocate. You bless back. If you don't, then you're stingy and greedy. All right? God blessed Abraham to be a blessing, not to hoard everything. And so when we look at the scriptures and we see these things, we have two choices. We can be stingy and try to keep everything to ourselves, or we can bless. We can bless other people. We can bless God. And, and you're like, what does God need it for? He doesn't. The whole point is to show that you're not stingy. The whole point is to show that you actually appreciate, respect, and acknowledge that it's God who blessed you in the first place. That's what this is about. Because if God gives everything, okay, then he could give you ten times more or a hundred times more or whatever he wants to, right? And again, I'm not preaching some prosperity theology either because you're not guaranteed to be wealthy. Look in the Bible. Most of God's Christians, his followers in the, in the first century, what happened to them? They're killed. Jesus wasn't some millionaire, right? So that's not something that we get from Scripture either. So Moses declares the Lord's appointed times to the Israelites, that this is what you're supposed to do. So in, in 2342, he says, you're to live in booths for seven days. All the native-born of Israel must live in booths. And so this whole deal is about camping out, living in these booths for the week. Alright, so just imagine you travel up to Jerusalem, alright, and then what's everybody doing? You're cutting down palm trees and all these fronds and, and some tree limbs and whatever else to build yourself a little hut for you, maybe your family, whoever came with you, and you're going to stay in that for a week. And everybody is going to have a big celebration. They're kind of going to have a party. There's also going to be things that take place at the temple, etc. In Exodus 34, 22, it says, Observe the festival of weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the festival of ingathering, that's the booths, at the turn or the end of the agricultural year. So again, this is what I said earlier. It's the end of, of the year as far as the agriculture and the growing of crops. And so this is going to be a, the reason for a big celebration. If they don't celebrate it, that it basically shows they're disrespectful to God and are not thankful. Now, we should think about that for a minute. When we don't give back to God, we're showing we're disrespectful, and we're showing that we don't have thanksgiving and gratitude. Now, let's, let's connect that with the book of Numbers and the 40 years that the Israelites wandered around. The reason they wandered around is because they didn't trust God and they didn't have gratitude. You read the stories in the book of Numbers, which really the book of Numbers would make a phenomenal movie because there are so many crazy things that happen in it. Some of the best stories, Numbers and Judges. Anyway, the people constantly complained and grumbled against God. And what did they get as a result? They died. They died as a result. 
The book of Hebrews talks about it in the New Testament. They did not thank God. They did not have gratitude. Instead, they complained and grumbled. So next time you're complaining and grumbling, remember who you're being like and what their consequence was. And repent and have gratitude towards God. In Numbers chapter 29, verses 12 through 40, this is a little bit of a long passage, but I want you to see all of the offerings and sacrifices that were to be given. Numbers 29, 12 to 14. It says, you are to hold a sacred assembly on the 15th day of the seventh month. What's, the, what's that day called? Come on, what day are we talking about? The feast of what? What? Booths or tabernacles, thank you, okay? So, you must not do any daily work. You're to celebrate a seven-day festival for the Lord. This part is, is old hat, right? You already learned that. Present a burnt offering. A fire offering is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Thirteen, now watch this. Thirteen young bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs a year old. They are to be unblemished. Their grain offering is to be a fine flour mixed with oil, six quarts with each of the thirteen bulls, four quarts with each of the two rams, and two quarts with each of the fourteen lambs. Also offer one male goat as a sin offering. These are in addition to the regular burnt offerings with its grain and drink offerings. On the second day, that was day one, on the second day, present 12 young bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs, a year old, all unblemished, with their grain and drink offerings for the bulls, the rams, and lambs in proportion to their number. Also offer one male goat as a sin offering. These are in addition to the regular burnt offerings with the grain and the drink offerings. On the third day, present 11 bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs, a year old, all unblemished, with their grain and the drink offerings for the bulls, the rams, and lambs in proportion to the number. Also offer one male goat as a sin offering. These are in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain and drink offerings. On the fourth day, present 10 bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs, a year old, all unblemished. Are you getting the picture here? With their grain and the drink offerings for the bulls, the rams, the lambs in proportion to their number. Also offer one male goat as a sin offering. These are in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain and drink offerings. On the fifth day, present nine bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs, a year old, all unblemished. With their grain and drink offerings for the bulls, the rams, the lambs in proportion to their number. Also offer one male goat as a sin offering. These are in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain and drink offering. On the sixth day, present eight bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs, a year old, all unblemished. With their grain and drink offerings for the bulls, the rams, the lambs in proportion to their number. Also offer one male goat as a sin offering. These are in addition to the regular burnt offerings with its grain and drink offerings. On the seventh day, present seven bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs, a year old, all unblemished. With their grain and drink offering for the bull, the ram, the lamb in proportion to their number. And also offer what? A male goat as a sin offering. These are in addition to the regular burnt offerings with its grain and drink offerings. And on the eighth day, so seven days done, now eighth day, you are to hold a solemn assembly. You are not to do any daily work. Present a burnt offering, a fire offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old, all unblemished. With their grain and drink offerings for the bulls, the rams, the lambs in proportion to their number. And also offer one male goat as a sin offering. These are in addition to the regular burnt offerings with its grain and drink offerings. You must offer these to the Lord at your appointed times in addition to your vow and your free will offering, whether burnt grain, drink, or fellowship offerings. So Moses told the Israelites everything the Lord had commanded him. <laughs> All right. I don't know if you had your calculator out, but was that a lot of animals? Yeah, it was a bunch. Plus all the other offerings that were just mentioned without numbers. And you say, well, what are all these different offerings? Well, go read the first five chapters of uh, Leviticus, and they'll tell you what all these other offerings are. All right? But the point is this. 
They're doing a lot of offerings in this week. Why? Because they're thankful. Because they're thankful. All right, now, in our culture, okay, Thanksgiving is coming up. All right? Thanksgiving is similar, in a sense, to the Feast of Booths. All right? But let me make a different parallel and kind of flip it. All right? Most of you are probably more looking forward to Christmas. I prefer Thanksgiving, but kids usually like Christmas better because you get what? Yeah, you get presents, right? So here's the deal, though. What this is all about is God has already blessed them all through the year. He has poured out blessing after blessing after blessing. And now what do they do? They bless him back. You see, we're all about Christmas and pour blessings on me. And what this whole week is about is pouring blessings back and thanking God. Are you, are you more likely to want to get a gift or give a gift? You don't have to answer out loud. I'm just asking you. Are you a giver or are you a taker? Which one do you like? See, God wants us to be givers. God wants us to be people that love to bless others and give to others. I love to find deals. My wife will tell you way too much. So I'm a clearance and a bargain shopper. And unfortunately, that means sometimes I buy stuff I don't need. Um, and when I do, though, a lot of times I love to just give it to other people. So sometimes she'll say to me, what are you going to do with that? Or that's not going to fit you. And I'll be like, I'll just give it to so-and-so. Or I'll give it to blah, blah, blah. Why? Because, first off, it was a great bargain, right? And second off, I love to give stuff to people. All right? Now, Why? Because God has, has shown me that that's how he is, all right? And so God blesses us so that we can bless others. It's a week of celebrating, and it's not a week of gimme, gimme, gimme. It's a week of praise, 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 give to God, give to God, give to God. That's what this is all about. This was a, a celebration that was carried on all through the Old Testament, that people were supposed to do this on a regular basis. Why? Because in Deuteronomy 8.8, God said that he would give them a land of wheat and barley, vines, figs, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. You've heard the phrase, a land of milk and honey, maybe. What that means is that God was going to radically bless them, and the land was going to produce great and abundant crops for them. Because they were God's people, and they were faithful to him. And as they did this, God would pour out his blessings as they were faithful to him. So this idea, Exodus, we've looked at Leviticus, we've looked at Numbers, we're at Deuteronomy now. Deuteronomy is the, the last of the first five books, the Torah or the Pentateuch, okay? And so in, in the books of Deuteronomy, Moses is getting ready to die, and he's given the people the last instructions. And he's saying, listen, this is how you've got to live if you want to stay in God's blessing. Otherwise, you'll end up with the consequences and the curses. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 13 to 15, it says, Again, you are to celebrate the festival of booths for seven days, and when you've gathered in everything from your threshing floor and winepress, rejoice. There's the command. Rejoice. Did you know that God sometimes commands to rejoice? You're like, yeah, I don't feel like it, Kevin. Oh, okay. God commanded it. Yeah, that can be hard. I understand. I've been in services before, and I just I don't feel like singing. I'm not in a good mood. I'm not happy. And, and here, for this particular Feast of Booths, Tabernacles, God says rejoice. He actually commands rejoicing in this one. The only one out of the seven. 
You, your son, and your daughter, your male and female slave, as well as the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow within your gates. In other words, everybody, you're to hold a seven-day festival for the Lord your God. Who's the festival for? God. Does God need a festival? It's a day to celebrate God in the place he chooses. Because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, and you have abundant joy. Why? Because he's blessed us, so we are going to celebrate him. Do you celebrate people in life that have done great things for you? Don't we celebrate people? Even look at our own culture. Why do we have Columbus Day? Why do we have President's Day? Why do we have these different things? We're celebrating somebody that we think in our country, in our culture, did something great. Why do we have MLK Day? Martin Luther King. Gary? Exactly, right? Because it was great or horrible? Great, right? We're not celebrating horribleness. We're celebrating greatness. We're celebrating something great. And so we're celebrating what God has done, and we're supposed to have joy about that. This is all through the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 31, <coughs> Moses says to them, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time, in the year of debt cancellation, during the festival of booths, okay, when all of Israel assembles in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he chooses, you are to read this law aloud before all of Israel. Now, he says, gather the people, get the men, the women, the children, the foreigners living within your gates, so that they may listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to follow all the words of his law. Now, you've got two things combined here. You have the Feast of Booths, okay, which lasts for how many days? How many days? Seven days, okay? And then you have something else combined. This was the Sabbath year that we, we mentioned a few weeks ago. Every seven years, the land is supposed to not be planted. It gets a rest. And he's saying, on that year, during tabernacles, what I want you to do is get everybody together and read the law. That means the whole section, which for us, we would think of like Genesis to Deuteronomy, or maybe just Deuteronomy. All right? You said the whole thing? Yeah, get all the people and read it. This is what they did. You can read Deuteronomy out loud in three or four hours. So what did the people do? They stuck around and they listened to the law. They're like, what, for three or four hours? Yeah. Why? Because they want to know what God says. And here's the deal. Let's just be honest. If you just went, oh, really? That sounds boring. Listen, you, you, you just condemned your own self. It's because we don't love God's word. We've got to learn to love God's word. And we've got to learn to love God's word because it comes from God and God loves us. They were willing to go do that. Now listen, the truth is they didn't always do it. The truth is that they got upset. The truth is they rebelled. The truth is they did all sorts of sinful things, okay? But there's also time periods where they repented and they got right with God again. Look what he says in Deuteronomy 28, verse 26. This verse is not so good. This isn't one of those verses that you like. When Moses was getting ready to die, he reminded the people of everything God had said. And he told them, if you do what God says, he'll bless you. But if you don't, you'll get the curses. And he said, your corpses will be food for the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the land with no one to scare them away. Now, what's he talking about? Let me give you the two sides of the coin. One side of the coin is this. You follow God. You're faithful to God. You do what God says. And what will God do in return? God will bless 
the land. He'll give you everything you need to live. The other side of the coin is you turn your back on God. You do your own thing. You rebel. You put other things first. And when you do that, the consequence of that is what you see on the screen. Instead of the land feeding you, you will feed the land with your dead body. Now, which one do you want? Obviously, this is a little bit harsh, and Moses was trying to make a very pointed statement to them. You've got to choose. Joshua said the same thing later on. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You've got to pick who you're going to choose. So this continued on all through the book of, of um, Joshua and, and Judges and, and Ruth. You see how people are either choosing God or choosing not to follow after God and facing the consequences of it. In the book of Nehemiah, in chapter 8, verse 18, this is after the people come back. All right, So you have to understand a little bit of history. Rebellion and unfaithfulness was actually the norm. Eventually, God sent his people away to be slaves again in foreign lands, first in Assyria and then in Babylon. And after they were in Babylon for 70 years and they came back home, look what happened. It says, Ezra read out of the book of the law of God every day from the first day to the last. The Israelites celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day there was an assembly according to the ordinance. What festival are they celebrating? What seven-day celebration with an eighth day are they celebrating? Booths. They're celebrating booths. This is hundreds of years later. After being in captivity, okay, punishment basically, because they refuse to follow God, then they come back and God does this for them. Now, over the time... In between and leading up to Jesus showing up, all right, the temple became a permanent structure instead of the tabernacle that was just a tent, all right? And now I want to move into the New Testament era, and I want to connect to what Jesus did on a certain year with the Feast of Tabernacles. And so on the screen, what you'll see is two temples, okay? First one on the left is Solomon's temple. All right, this is back in like 900 B.C. The one on the right is Herod's temple. All right, King Herod, the one that was king when Jesus was born. What happened is the tabernacle that was movable that I showed you on the screen earlier, it was like a big tent. Once God's people got to be in their promised land, the land of Canaan, they built a permanent place. Instead of a tabernacle, it's called a temple. All right, Solomon built it. It's on the left side. You can see that compared to the one on the right, it looks kind of small. Well, King Herod rebuilt it. Why he rebuilt it? Because when God sent his people away in punishment, like I just told you, to the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they burned down Solomon's temple and destroyed it. Okay? So it was rebuilt by Ezra and Nehemiah, and then by King Herod. And you can see he made it much, much, much larger. Why? Because Herod loved to build great things, and he liked all of the magnificence of it. And so he built this for the Jews. Not because he liked the Jews so much, but he wanted them to like him. Okay, So you have this temple, and that's, where, that's what was there when Jesus walked the earth, Herod's temple. Okay, Now, <clears throat> today, if you look at the next slide, you will see that the temple's not there. Okay? It's been destroyed. It was destroyed in 70 AD. Instead, there is a, a Muslim mosque there. Now, what the point I want to make...
make is, this is, a, this is a modern picture. So if you look at all these houses all over the place, you'll see that right in the center, okay, where that mosque currently is, but where the temple used to be, all right, that would pretty much be seen by everybody, right? So it was kind of the center. It was up on this hill type of thing, all right? That's the temple. When Jesus goes to the temple, that's where he went on that piece of land. I've been there, all right? And so let's go and look at John. In the Gospel of John, written by the Apostle John, who is the closest follower to Jesus at the time period, all right, Jesus is getting ready to celebrate none other than the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. So Jesus is getting ready to celebrate this. In John chapter 7, verse 14, it says, When the festival was already half over. Huh. Why is Jesus waiting? Well, Jesus was waiting because people wanted him to go show off so that he would get popular support. But see, it wasn't the right time. Jesus already knew that people were very upset and they were already trying to kill him. So Jesus waited until his father told him to go. He didn't go when everybody else told him to go. All right? It was half over. Jesus went up into the temple complex and he began to teach. So this is a time period where everybody is, is full of thanksgiving. They're celebrating. They're living in these booths, these tabernacles. And Jesus goes and he begins to teach up there. In John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, it says, On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. Now, you're like, okay, what's that got to do with anything, Kevin? Okay, let, let me explain. You see, rituals and traditions develop over time. And Way back when we were in Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all this Old Testament stuff, God said build these booths, right? Well, over the hundreds and hundreds of years between there and Jesus in John chapter 7, they added some other things to remind them of how God had blessed them. Two of these things have to do with lights and water. One of these things was the lights, okay? The menorah candle, if you don't know what that is, it's a big candle that's got seven candles on it, Okay? Now, remember when I showed you the picture of the temple up there in the middle of the city? They had a huge menorah candle, and they would light this thing, and it would shine bright light everywhere, and they would go up there, and they would celebrate. There'd be, there'd be feasting and dancing, and they'd stay up late during this week, and it's just bright light, and so you'd be able to tell. Remember way back on the earlier slide when we had the tabernacle, and the Shekinah glory of God shows up? Everybody would see it, right? Okay, it's kind of like that. And so they would light this to remind them that, that God has sustained them, okay? That God is their light. All these different aspects about what it meant. There was some symbolism, but it was for everybody to see. The other thing that they would do is <clears throat> there would be this water ceremony. And every single day, each morning, um, each of the seven mornings, the high priest would lead a procession from the Pool of Siloam all the way to the temple. A priest would first fill a golden uh, cup type thing with water from the pool, and he would carry it through the, the water gate on the south side of the temple and into the temple courtyard. And then he would ceremoniously pour the water into a silver basin on the west side of the altar, from which it would flow through a tube to the base of the altar. And many Jews would accompany them, 
And some of them would drink from the pool, while others would just chant and sing. And they would sing these two verses from Isaiah 55.1 and Isaiah 12.3 about joyfully drawing water from the springs and God filling them up. So I know I just threw two more passages of scripture, but here's the thing that you've got to understand. We're now in John 7, and we got stuff from Exodus, the bit, actually Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We got stuff related to Ezra and Nehemiah. We got stuff now from the prophet of Isaiah. And really, we could add a whole bunch more books. And all of that is necessary to understand what is going on in John chapter 7 and 8 when Jesus shows up and he says, I am the light of the world. And he says, I am the living water. It's all tied to what's going on right here. And so when that ceremony is there and the people are chanting and they're singing about how God is providing for them in the living waters, and Jesus comes in. And in John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And so at this time period, when they're all there for a week of celebrating, and they're praising God for who he is, they're thinking about how God has protected them, he has provided for them, and he has brought his presence, he's lived there with them. Well, if you go back to John chapter 1, says in the beginning with the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And then a little bit further down, it says that, that Jesus, he, he lived, he tabernacled, that's the word, he tabernacled with mankind. He came and dwelt with man. So as you're celebrating tabernacles or booths, and, and you're celebrating God's protection and provision and his presence, Jesus shows up in the world as the presence of God. And what does he say? I am the light. I am the living water. Elsewhere he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of all these things. If you want to walk in the light, then you need Jesus. John chapter 1, unfortunately, says that the people didn't want to walk in the light, and so they rejected it. But you can't put out the light. Because the light is Jesus. The light is God. You can't put him out. They tried. They killed him, right? And what happened? He rose from the dead because you can't put that light out. You can put these lights out. You can put those lights out. But you can't put Jesus' light out. You ever heard the phrase, knock your lights out? Yeah, it can happen with Jesus. They tried. He resurrected. And so Jesus says, I am the light. He says, I am the living waters. He offered the woman at the well in John chapter 4 living water. She wanted water to drink, and he offered her the living waters that she wouldn't be thirsty ever again. Of course, he didn't mean physically, he meant spiritually. Now, I'm almost done here, but in Zechariah 14, so this is another prophet, okay, in verses 16 to 19, speaking of a future day, Zechariah says all the survivors from the nations that came against Jerusalem, so the enemies, God's enemies, will go up year after year to worship the king the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the festival of what? Booths or tabernacles. So now he's saying that the enemies will now come and worship God and celebrate tabernacles or booths. Which again, it's about the provision, the protection, the presence of God, right? So they're celebrating God's provision, protection, and presence. And they used to be his enemies. Well, what were all of us? According to Romans, we were all God's enemies. Right? Right? While we were his enemies, he died for us. 
Who dies for their enemies? Who tries to save their enemies? God does. So that you can walk in the light. So that you can have the living water he offered the woman at the well in John chapter 4. So that you can have a light to walk by. So that you can have the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, like the God in Acts chapter 2. And the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and indwelt the people and empowered them so they don't have to sin. Guys, you never have to sin. You don't. I didn't say you wouldn't. I said you don't have to. The Holy Spirit enables you to not sin. We sin when we tell the Holy Spirit to be quiet. We don't want to listen to him. And so why does Zechariah talk about this? Because he sees the same thing that Isaiah sees and that Habakkuk sees in Habakkuk 2.14. That one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. That's why Jesus came. He came to die on a cross to pay for our sins the first time. He's coming back with a trumpet the clouds, the second time, he's going to judge. So the Day of Atonement was all about. He's going to put everything back in order the way it's supposed to be. And then he's going to call all of his people into his presence. And they're going to celebrate. And they're going to feast together with Jesus. If you want to be part of that feast day, if you want to be part of that celebration, the Feast of Booths and Tabernacles gives a shadow of and points toward when Jesus comes back then you've got to make sure your sins have been forgiven. You've got to make sure you're right with God. You've got to be walking in step with God and following the light of God. That's what the Day of Trumpets and Atonement was all about. So if you miss those two days, let me just challenge you on this. Do you know for sure that your sins have been forgiven? You can't pay for them yourself. Going to church is not going to pay for your sins. Getting baptized will not pay for your sins. Doing good things will not pay for your sins. The payment for your sins was Jesus. One time for not just your sins, but mine and everybody's. Simply got to acknowledge it, believe it, trust it, accept it. And when you do that, you start following after Jesus. You stop following everybody else. You stop trying to find the coolest thing in the world to follow. You stop living like everybody else. And you start following Jesus. Because he is the light. He is the bread of life. He is the living waters. He says, I am the way, the truth, truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 14, verse 2. Find the truth that's in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning realizing that this ancient feast, tabernacles, booths, Lord, about your, your, uh, your presence and your protection, your provision, and the celebration of all of that, pointing forward to one day when you will set everything up right and we actually can be part of your banquet table. We can be invited to your banquet. We would simply have our sins forgiven, Lord, trust in you and follow after you. Lord, for us that are Christians, help us to be faithful. Help us to not be complainers. Help us to see how, how much you blessed us and that we would give back to you and to others. That we've been blessed to be a blessing. For those here today who aren't sure that their sins are forgiven, God, I pray that you would, you would speak to their hearts, you would reveal yourself to them, Lord. You'd help them to realize that they could just call out to you right where they're sitting. Ask you to forgive them of their sins. Say something like, God, forgive me of my sins. I realize I'm a sinner. 
I realize I've been trying to do it myself. I realize that, that nothing I could do, no good works, no paying anything, no going to church a hundred times, no helping somebody, no getting baptized. That's not going to take away my sins. Jesus came to take away my sins 2,000 years ago. I realize that now. I believe that now. Forgive me, God. Take my sins away. Make me your child. Save me today. Give me your Holy Spirit to show me how to live my life, and I will follow him. I will follow you, King Jesus, wherever you tell me to go. You pray that today, you became a new creation, a new believer, part of God's family. You put yourself in a place where you can be part of that banquet table. Father, you, we pray, Lord, that we would be a light. You're the true light, but as together we would, we would be a light for this world, Lord, as we reflect you. As we lift up the name of Jesus, people would be drawn to you. In Christ's name, amen. amen.